Welcome to The Art of Intimate Marriage with Dr. Jennifer Conzin. Sensitive yet frank advice for enjoying every benefit of one of God's most fundamental gifts. Dr. Conzin is a licensed marriage and family counselor, sex therapist, as well as an adjunct professor, award-winning researcher, author, and speaker. With today's conversation on the biblical approach to fulfilling intimacy in marriage, here's Jennifer. Good morning, everyone. This is Dr. Jennifer Conzin with The Art of Intimate Marriage. And in our previous broadcast, we were talking about the development of sexuality and some of the typical physiological things that are happening and some of the sociological and experiential things that are happening from both prenatal, so in the womb, all the way through the adolescent years. And so today is going to be a part two where we're going to pick up in the adolescent years and talk a little bit more about specifically the development of sexuality from adolescence into adulthood. And then we're also going to talk about the development of sexual identity and what influences and impacts and what the process is often like for that. So this is kind of a part two. We're going to start with, like I said, the adolescent years. And one of the things that we talked about last time was the development of gender through the years. And so that happens, of course, very early on with what chromosomes are in that fetus and that baby, you know, that XX or XY or some other combination, and then how that is expressed. So that would be gender expression super early on. So this would be how you dress them as a male or female, as a boy or a girl, as a baby. And then, of course, the gendered expectations socially on the type of things that children will play with and how they express themselves, whether we consider it feminine or masculine. So gender development through those years is an incredibly important part. And then, of course, during both the pre-adolescent and the adolescent years, the paying attention to gender and the difference with other genders. And so this is where I'll often work with individuals who will say that during those years, they started feeling like I'm not the typical male. I'm not like other boys. I'm not like other girls. And really, a lot of that has to do with our societal pressure of this is what a girl is. This is what a boy is. It's pretty strong. And so sometimes you'll have individuals question, does that mean that I'm gay and then I'm lesbian, that I'm attracted to boys or that I'm attracted to girls because I'm, I'm noticing that I'm paying attention. So a young boys will mention I'm paying attention to boys and I'm drawn and attracted to boys. Or before they even get to attraction, they'll notice that they aren't interested in sports, like what we consider would be a masculine interest, right? This can be true of for even young girls who start noticing that I'm not like the other girls in my school or I don't feel like them and I'm not interested in the things that they're interested in or they start feeling sexually attracted to other girls and they start noticing that that's not what other girls are talking about, that they're talking about boys and they're not interested in boys. So both the development of gender and sexual attraction, individuals will share that that they start to notice those things pretty early on in grade school and definitely later grade school and then definitely clearly by middle school where they're wondering about their attractions and they're hearing both derogatory terms about 
same-sex attraction, gay and lesbian, and all the different derogatory terms, and they start wondering, is that me? So these are common questions, especially today, because the development of gender and the open discussion around sexual orientation in our communities and in our schools, often parents don't know how to discuss that with their children, either the questions they have about themselves or that they have about their friends or that they have about the words that they're hearing. And so during those adolescent years, having open and honest conversations, both about how they feel and the questions that they have about other people are vital. The other thing that's also happening during those years, both pre-adolescent, but especially adolescent years, is the development of intimacy skills. And so this, again, has a huge impact on the development of sexuality. The ability to talk openly, the ability to express emotion, the ability to hear other people's emotions. And so that has to do with emotion management and listening skills, the ability to experience touch either positively or to express a negative experience about touch. So intimacy skills are developing during these so definitely strongly in late grade school and then very thoroughly through middle school and high school. And so at times, the development of gender and the development of intimacy skills and the development of sexuality can get arrested when different traumas happen. So that has to do with either sexual abuse or physical abuse or a sexual assault of some kind or when parents divorce or through being exposed to dehumanizing sexuality or some other kind of trauma, either violence or witnessing violence or being the recipient of violence. So different things can derail what would be a healthy sexual development and a healthy intimate skill development. I do work with couples that when they come to see me, the husband or the wife just feels like, I don't even know how to talk to people. And I feel like I don't know how to express emotion. And when we go back and look at their development, you know, maybe their parents got divorced when they were 10, 12, 14 years old. And so what would have been maybe some healthy social development and the healthy development of emotional expression and touch might have been inhibited during those years and might have received a blow and gotten stalled because of the different challenges they went through either with their parents or in their family. Some kind of huge move that might have happened during those years. Definitely one of the common things is when there's breakup in families and how that influences the development of intimacy skills and the development of sexual attractions and sexual feelings where they're openly discussed. And so, yes, if there's some kind of big break during those key years that can influence the development of sexuality. So I do want to touch some more on the question that individuals often bring to me is how did I develop sexually in my interest in the same sex? How did my children, how do people develop same sexual orientation? So that would be a young girl being attracted to a girl, a young boy being attracted to a boy, or being attracted to both, or wondering and questioning if they are a boy. I don't feel like a boy. I feel like a girl in a boy's body. I feel like a boy in a in a girl's body. I work with individuals who express a transsexual or transgender attractions, and they felt them super early on that they didn't feel like they belonged in the world and in the body that they had. And so the development of both gender identity and sexual attraction identity can, again, that also begins early. 
pretty early on. I appreciate the work of Mark Yarhouse. He's a researcher and a clinician in the field of same-sex attraction, and he uses a model that I'm going to go over a little bit today in the development of sexual attractions or in the development of gender. And it's important to understand that there's a lot of different terms that are used in exploring that. And there's both biological sex, so that would be like your DNA, that would be your sexual genitals, although like I mentioned in the previous broadcast, if someone is born with a varying combinations of chromosomes, they might have a combined or mixed genital presentation physically. However, uh, the biological sex would be DNA and the genitals, the vulva, the breasts, the penis, the scrotum. And then there's gender identity. So let me clarify some of the terms here. So that would be feelings of being a boy or being a girl or feeling masculine, or feeling feminine. So that would be gender identity. And of course, that can be very complicated if someone notices their body is like a boy's, but they don't feel masculine, or they don't feel like a boy. They don't feel like their body belongs to how they feel internally. So that would be gender identity. And then you have attraction, which when it comes to orientation, that would lean more towards the persistence and direction of attraction. So that's when the feelings persist and are primarily in a certain direction. And again, it can be a little more complicated than that, where those feelings and attractions are in multiple directions. And then with sexual identity is also behaviors and the motivations behind those behaviors. So this might be the type of physical explorations that start to occur, engagement in certain activities. So this is the the physical behavior, both with others and with self. And then, of course, it can also mean the involvement in online activities. So if it's a young girl looking at online activities that just involve sexual things with girls or young boys getting involved in viewing. Again, this has to do with same-sex attraction if they begin viewing same-sex online. And so those are behaviors and motivations that also are involved in sexual identity. Now, Yarhouse does provide what he calls a valuative framework. That's a nice big word, valuative framework, which is basically the influence of beliefs and values in the home and within the religious environment, then influence that development of same-sex identity development or transgender. And so one of the things that commonly happens in those early stages is what you would call identity confusion or crisis. And it's important that during those years when the this is a boy and this is a girl is happening, young individuals will have a confusion of not feeling like they fit into those clear categories. And so this can happen definitely either in grade school or in middle school, that feeling of difference and often that feeling of confusion. And what happens is that they keep those wonderings hidden. And boy, it takes a thoughtful, careful, patient parent to draw those wonderings out because they do happen. And often the experience is that they feel like what they have is incompatible with the beliefs they have. They start becoming aware of things they're hearing either at church or at home, that the sensations or the attractions that they're noticing aren't compatible with their beliefs. And so it causes confusion or maybe even a full crisis, a full emotional crisis or a mental health crisis. Now, typically, so that would be an early stage of the development of sexual identity. And so the next stage is typically around identity attribution. So this is when someone begins to put meaning to their attractions and to their same-sex attractions. And that meaning might be that they're going to deny it, that no, this isn't right. I am not this. 
I am not attracted and I am not gay. I am not lesbian or gay and lesbian is negative. It is bad. And so they're putting meaning and an attribution to those attractions. Or it might be that they have feelings and beliefs and they do notice it, but I'm not going to live that way. I have these feelings and attractions, but they're wrong and I'm not going to live that way. And so that tends to be a little bit more towards the later middle school and into the high school years where there's more of an awareness of their attractions and what they're drawn to. And then they, especially if they're growing up in a religious environment, they're aware of whether it's right or wrong. Recently, I had the joy of speaking with an individual who definitely felt like he was a girl living in a boy's body. And he went through a full sex reassignment surgery about at the age of 17. And he spoke about how early on, he felt that somewhat these attractions, but more the feeling of, I don't belong in this body. I'm a boy, but I don't feel like I belong in a boy's body. And he didn't grow up religiously, so he didn't grow up with feeling like it was wrong or not. Those kinds of attributions about right or wrong were not a part of that. So yes, religious upbringings will influence those attributions and the meanings that people make of those attractions. And then what will often happen is an identity foreclosure or an identity expansion. And so what that means is it may be a premature, so this is the foreclosure, a premature closure on sexual identity. I feel attracted towards boys and I'm a boy, so therefore I am gay. So that would be without exploring whether it's their beliefs and their values or whether it's the fact that they're still developing during those years. And so attractions can cross all kinds of boundaries during those prepudescent years when hormones are surging. And so sometimes what can happen is that at a super early stage when they're still in the midst of developing gender identity and they're still developing in their bodies. They haven't even gone through puberty yet, but where they'll make a a premature closure. I am gay. I am lesbian. I am, you know, and today with the depth to which things are being discussed openly, both online and in our communities, that can happen where a very early decision is made before a full exploration is even possible physiologically as well as emotions and so on. Or it can be an identity expansion where I have examined my beliefs, I have examined my feelings, and I'm wondering and I am exploring. So that would be the expansion. I am checking out to see what I am. And then often, again, this would be more like into the high school years, an identity reappraisal. So this is the time period where a person might reevaluate their initial rejection of being gay. No, I'm not gay. No, I'm not lesbian. That might have happened in their middle school years, 12, 13 years old. And then they hit 14, 15, 16, and they start coming back to and looking at that rejection and saying, you know what? I do think I am gay and I do think I am lesbian. I do think I am transgender. I do think I am bisexual. So this initial rejection may get reexamined. So this is what you would call the identity reappraisal. And during this time, they may have what you would call a sexual same-sex identity synthesis. So that's the acceptance and the synthesis of being gay or lesbian and identifying overall as a person with being gay or lesbian within the gay and lesbian community. It also might be a period of disidentification. And so this is unique to Mark Yarhouse's work where he would say that when someone brings in different beliefs and values and they're saying they're accepting their sexual attractions and interests, but they are 
choosing not to identify as gay or lesbian or within the gay and lesbian community. And that this identification would involve an acceptance of the feelings. So not a rejection any longer, but it's alongside a choice based on that close examination to not pursue an active lifestyle. So these individuals might find that identifying is inconsistent, say, with their religious identity. And this is what's important is identity can be influenced by a number of different things. Earlier, I mentioned this. So there's biological sex, there's gender identity, there's the persistence of attraction and the direction of that attraction. There's behavior and motivation, and there's a value to framework. How people in that later stage of synthesis choose whether to identify or not identify as gay and lesbian or transgender or bisexual and you know various sexual identities is going to somewhat depend on which one of these five areas, biological, gender, persistence of attraction, behavior, and a value framework, which one of those they emphasize, which one of those they focus more on, will influence how they then decide to live it out in their life. So the development of same-sex attraction typically will go through these different levels. And then I do want to discuss with you an individual that I spoke about earlier, a transgender individual and his experiences through the years. But before I do that, let me explain what you're listening to. This is the art of intimate marriage. And we are discussing all areas of sexuality, all areas of the marital relationship. We're also discussing background and the development of sexuality. We've been doing that the last couple of times in this broadcast. You can listen to all of the previous recordings on my website, the art of intimate marriage. You can also find our books, Redeemed Sexuality, which goes a bit more into some of the topics that we're hitting today, and into The Art of Intimate Marriage. You can find both of those on Amazon. You can also find on our website lots of other resources. There's a lot of recordings and videos and a blog. So if you have questions, you can send them actually from that website or directly to me at jenniferconzen at yahoo.com. And so in the second half of this broadcast, I'm going to be sharing with you an interview that I did with an individual who began feeling at a young age that he was in a male body but didn't feel like he belonged in that body. So this is an individual who then lived the lifestyle uh, as a transgender individual and the different processes he went through during sexual development, because that's our topic today is sexual development. So we're going to keep going there. So in meeting with this individual, we shared... I actually went through and explained to him Yarhouse's model of sexual identity development. And we then talked through all these different levels and he shared his experiences. So this is an individual just for um, complete understanding and context of this story who grew up as a male, started having different feelings and sensations about his identity as a male early on. At the age of 17, went through a sex reassignment surgery. And then in his mid-20s, he decided to return to living as a male. So let me share with you his experience in conjunction with Yarhouse's five levels of the stages that we just went over. So this would be, first of all, in the confusion and crisis stage, the identity confusion stage. This um, I'm going to call him Alex. That is not actually his real name. But Alex s expressed that even during kindergarten at about age six, he was wanting to dress in clothes um, that were feminine, that he had both male and female playmates. But then he definitely noticed that there were certain cues about how boys and girls were supposed to be. So he his desire to dress in feminine clothing, he felt he had to hide that super early on kindergarten, sixth grade, and that he 
did find himself wanting to experience touch with male playmates in a sexual manner uh, at kindergarten age. And that then he began role-playing as a female during those ages, kindergarten into first grade. And then, of course... As he aged, he didn't. Ha- he himself didn't have any religious education, and so he, though, with even without having values placed on it, he definitely understood that this isn't what boys do. He got that message very early on that boys don't play with dolls. At by about first grade, though, he did have the feeling of I wish I had a boyfriend, and then by second grade, um, he didn't want to be that anymore. So this would fall under. Actually, the confusion part where and the disidentification that happens in attribution. So during attribution is the um, the I am not. I am not that. It's a denial of. And so he definitely went through that as early as second grade. He started to distance himself from boys. I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to do that anymore as far as the attraction to boys. And then went through a period of being very antisocial and Yet through all of that feeling very different, he noticed that other boys were getting into sports. And so he felt very isolated from other young boys. And then by about uh, as far as in well, as far as also during that stage, uh, his identity attribution was a denial, denying all attraction to boys and and the desire to to be feminine. And then by about fourth grade, it was more of a full-blown denial, and but hooking in with other friends that also had that feeling of isolation and feeling like a loner. Now, very early on during that stage, he was hearing terms like, this is gay, and that's gay, and he himself made gay jokes through, and this was a true through puberty. Then, by about 13 years old, so this is the middle school years, started realizing, again, this is going to be more the attribu- the uh, identity expansion or attribution, and then definitely coming into the reappraisal, where he started realizing that he did have those attractions and that perhaps he was bisexual and that his fantasies that he was having definitely lent him towards feeling, I think I'm bisexual. And then, of course, the exploration. So this goes into the early stages of foreclosure and identity expansion. During identity expansion, that's going to be exploring the physical behaviors. And so he definitely shared that at 13, he became involved physically with others and full reappraisal by that age. Now, mind you, even up until that time, he would hear these different terms and think, that's not me. I am not those things. I And so, again, this is the, the confusion that comes during those times. And yet the pull towards dressing feminine and dressing in both uh, sister's clothes and mother's clothes and being a cross-dresser and trying it out began to, again, this is identity expansion, which is that third level of development occurred for him. And so by the time he was 17, he decided I am bisexual and I believe that I belong in a female body. And so he started engaging in uh, hormone replacement. So Where does this go for him? Well, he started to see a specialized therapist, and then he went through a full transition. 
But this identification of this is what I am was over a period of time from, say, 13 to 17. Okay, so that actually goes along with the model that we were discussing earlier. By 18, surgery had occurred, and then by the college years fully expressing to um, friends and to his community and to his family. Of course, his family fully was supportive. His parents were supportive. And so by that time, he was fully involved in um, things sexually and then living as a transgender individual. Why? Why am I sharing this specific story? Because he's just a great example, a very open and honest example of some of the challenges that happen very early on, on exploring gender and some of the messages that this is what is male, this is what is female, that these are the type of clothes that a female wears. And if I am drawn to wearing those things, then I, I am in, I don't belong in this body. And in our final conversation, one of the things that he shared is that even in his adult years, he still feels more comfort. It's very comfortable for him to think of himself in the feminine form, even though he's no longer living that way. And so it doesn't change. And I think that's one of the things that's vital in understanding same-sex uh, attraction and transgender and bisexual development is that those attractions, even when people decide to live different ways, whether they identify as gay and lesbian or whether they disidentify, either direction, the well, either way, those attractions don't necessarily change. Those interests don't necessarily change, even if they decide because of their beliefs and behaviors to live um, a lifestyle that goes along with their beliefs. So it's the reason why this is vital in the process of understanding attraction, understanding the development of sexuality is that I do work with both individuals who are married and individuals who are not married who still experience these and don't know what to do with those attractions and those wonderings and those questions that they had early on. And they're still trying to decide, should they live according to that identity? Should they go ahead and embrace that identity? Or should they say, I do feel these attractions, but I'm going to live in this manner? Well, that identity confusion and that identity choice, these are not clear. It only happens during one stage of life. That will occur through the years. It'll occur with married couples. It'll occur with families. And the thing that I always encourage families with is talk Openly, I highly recommend the work of Guy and Kathy Hammond at Strength and Weakness Ministries. You can find that online. And they do a great job of really helping families to talk openly, to talk in ways that are not shaming, to talk in ways that are really more from a curious standpoint. Please share with me what your experiences are, what you're feeling. Maybe you've got your spouse sharing these things with you. Maybe you have a child sharing these things with you. Open and honest communication is the key to really staying connected during these years around all levels of sexual development and definitely in the exploration of sexual identity development. So what I encourage you to do is get whatever resources. We do have a full chapter on this in Redeemed Sexuality, our book. You can also pick up Guy Hammond's book, Caring Beyond the Margins. You can also find his website, the Strength and Weakness website online and further explore when someone has religious beliefs and they have questions about the development of sexual identity. This is Dr. Jennifer Conzen with The Art of Intimate Marriage. Thank you for joining us for The Art of Intimate Marriage. 
Now, let's be real. This is not a typical radio program, and we know it generates questions. If you have one you'd like Dr. Kanzen to address here on air, email her at jenniferkanzen at yahoo.com. Kanzen is spelled K-O-N-Z-E-N, jenniferkanzen at yahoo.com. We hope today's program was beneficial to you, and if you agree this unique voice should be on the air, your donations will help keep it there. To give or to get more information about the ministry, Dr. Kanzen's Center for Sexuality in San Diego, or to get more resources for improving intimacy in marriage, visit us on the web at theartofintimatemarriage.com. And for more on experiencing the marriage God designed, join us this same time next week for The Art of Intimate Marriage.